Hello, friends. Welcome to the Nexus Podcast. I'm your host, James Dice. Each week, I fire questions at the leaders of the smart buildings industry to try to figure out where we're headed and how we can get there faster without all the marketing fluff. I'm pushing my learning to the limit, and I'm so glad to have you here following along. This episode is a conversation with Prasan Kale, co-founder and CEO of Rise Buildings, which was acquired by VTS in 2021 and is now VTS Rise. We talked about why VTS acquired Rise and why they acquired Lane Technologies. We talked about how tenant apps like Rise integrate with other systems in the building and in the cloud. We talked about Rise's patented beacon technology and how it's used to track space usage. And finally, Prasan shared how tenant apps help with getting people back to the office, what impact they have on leasing renewals, and what analytics, or data exhaust as he calls it, can be produced by a tenant app to help support business decisions on the landlord side. So without further ado, please enjoy the next podcast with Prasan Kale. Hello, Prasan. Welcome to the show. Can you introduce yourself? Hey, James. Great to be here. My name is Prasan Kale. I started, co-founded Rise Buildings about six years ago now and was their CEO and, and co-founder. More recently, yes, acquired Rise. And so now I, I serve as the, as the managing director of VTS Rise. Awesome. And we've had you on the list for the show ever since then, probably before then, actually. And it's just taken this long to get get our calendars to align. So can you talk about your, your background first? Maybe before Rise, what were you up to? Sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm a real estate guy. Uh, spent my entire career after college. I went to, went to school for electrical and computer engineering. Uh, funny story, but my first job offer was to design a blinker for a car. Okay. Uh, yeah. And I, and I don't want to, I don't want to design, I don't want to design a blinker for a car that's going to go inside of a car, a chipset that nobody's going to care that you design this blinker for a car. It might be oh. a great blinker, but who cares about blinkers on cars, right? So mm-hmm. turning signal. So I really, I, I was like that electrical and computer engineering side of me really wanted to sort of be technical. And that first job offer, while it was great, I, I actually chose to go into a very different profession, uh, ended up in the world of property uh, or project management rather uh, in the world of real estate and helped redevelop uh, a hotel and fell in love with uh, not only Chicago, which is why I moved here uh, as a city, but real estate as a business. Uh, and so uh, over the sort of career arc, I've done uh, everything from property management, consulting to uh, property management, portfolio management, asset management, construction management. Uh, and so really I've seen a lot of the broad swath, uh, including development management, which was you know, responsible for uh, developing a series of high rises in Chicago. So I've really seen the broad swath of what it looks like to take a underwriting and a property, whether it's a new property or redevelopment, and see it through all its phases of execution. I'd say the only thing I've really not touched is lending, although I've probably borrowed money from a lot of people. So, <laughs> all right, cool. And then what got you into the tech side of things? Yeah, I think it was the it was the arc of the career that you know I was building buildings, I was running a large portfolio of properties both residential and commercial. And the number one thing that, you know, the brick wall I kept running into was I was trying to make these properties more efficient, whether that was saving energy or better operational systems or better staff management, all of the above, create retention and engagement in these properties. I was trying to do this uh, with technology as a primary sort of tool, but there were like eight or 10 things that I had to buy for every one Mm. of those buildings. And so as a developer, I was like, yes, we got to have the package management solution. We got to have the intercom solution uh, or visitor management solution. We got to have this and rent payment and blah, 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 blah. But then when I stitched them all together and handed it off to where my property operations hat, what I quickly found was <laughs> none of those point solutions were being effective. What was happening instead is, you know, although I desired sort of staff efficiency, my staff was going, how many things do you want me to log into? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so they were going, I'm, I'm not efficient at any of these systems. And those systems don't talk to each other. So I'm spending a lot of time in my day doing double data entry and error checking and sort of going task switching at the end of the day. Yeah. And that wasn't, that didn't feel good. Cause I was like, that's the opposite reason of why I put those systems in. Uh, and then, and then the worst thing, which was, you know, yeah, of course it costs more because you're buying sort of eight, 10 systems, but then the, the worst thing was the people that ended up living or working in those buildings 
had no idea where to go to get something done. So, you know, they were told to go to this website for X thing and call downstairs for this Y thing and go to the back room to do the other thing and then get an app for your experience, which you know, was like an info app at the time. I was like, well, that's not right. So, you know, really with Sid, my, Sid Jane, my co-founder really thought about, well, how do we single stack this? How do we create a total technology solution for real estate, whether it's an office building, residential, industrial, it doesn't matter if it's a building with four walls and a roof and people that live, work, or play in it, and their staff and property management that sort of run that asset, how do we single stack it and create a one-stop shop for the industry? Something I desired as a solution to my own real estate, and it turns out so did a whole bunch of other people. Mm -hmm. Nice. So that became Rise then. That's right. Yeah. Rise Buildings, yeah. Totally. Okay. So catch me up then. So you founded Rise six years ago. It got acquired, what, last year? Is that right? 2021? In March of 2021, yeah. What was that journey like from having that realization on one of your projects to getting acquired? Can you sort of fill in the story in the middle there? Yeah, there's there's not just a story, but there's probably a couple of novels. I'm sure, I'm sure. (laughs) Cliff notes. I'll keep it to the cliff notes. I think we were a bootstrap startup, right? So very much, you know, elbow grease and all those things. Never really raised a big round of venture money or anything like that. I'm not saying that's wrong. Just we said, look, let's go... Let's go focus on the product, put all the money into the product and the deep integrations that it requires and just the high technical execution that it requires. And then let's go put it into one building or five buildings. And if we did something right, then those five buildings or customers will tell the next few buildings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of how it played out. Now, that, that was not easy because you know every, when, you're, when you're bootstrapped, everything is tight and you're working 48 hours in a 24-hour day. Yeah. Uh, but it was it was probably the most fun I've had in my whole life. I mean, uh, the things we were able to accomplish in a day uh, took you know weeks for many companies to do. So that was that was a lot of fun. And that and go, that's going back early days. That that tactic of like build a really great product and you know if you build it they will come. It actually worked. Uh, most of our early customers told the next customer that look, don't believe the marketing hype. Don't, don't, you know, forget about what's on the blogs or this or that, right? Like those are those, those things that actually work in the field are what most are mostly are important. Mm-hmm. And you really look at uh, Rise Buildings because they've, they've designed something and actually executed on it that works day to day. So like that, we sort of in the second, call it phase of, of growth, really grew by word of mouth. And at, at that point, there was like, there was a real impetus to going, okay, let's raise some money so that we can take that word of mouth and turn it into a you know, system and, and have a few more people to do the work so that it's not 48 hours a, a day and a 24 hour day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was phase two. And we were very, very lucky. And I think this is the secret to everything that's successful is that we were very lucky to find the best people in that middle phase, you know? So the early days we were sort of founder led and founder executed mm-hmm. in that middle phase. We really were lucky in finding the right people to take over you know, everything from our client success to our back office, to our accounting, to you name it, right? Every part of the business that's really important and all of the parts of the business have to fire on, on all cylinders for it to truly catch exponential growth. Uh, and that's what we were very lucky in finding really great people, strong culture as, as a company and really what attracted the next person to join us as well. Uh, and that led to sort of scaling execution where we were able to not just deploy five or 10 buildings in a, in a month. We were able to deploy 20 or 30 and uh, sell 50 or 60 and, and so on and so forth. So and build the right product enhancements and the next integrations for the next set of buildings that we're about to, to, to be sold to. So that third phase was really where we went from sort of bootstrap, you know, it, it, you know in a closet startup to, okay, there's, there's real presence here. Uh, and, and short of any real sort of venture fundraising or anything like that, uh, we were able to get into a whole lot of buildings very, very quickly in that sort of mini scale phase, I'll call it. Uh, and that's really when sort of, I got the call from Nick, you know, one day saying, you know, I've been talking to lots of customers in the tenant experience space and, and your name keeps coming up, but I don't see, you know, rise buildings plastered on every, every sort of banner out there. I was like, yeah, we don't, we don't really have a marketing department. And, and, <laughs> you know, he's like, you should get a marketing department. He's like, I can fix that. I was like, great. He's like, I'll come see you tomorrow. I was like, great. And, and, you know, I obviously I've known Nick for a long time now, but was a big fan of his even before that conversation. And we got together and, and really saw the value in putting 
the great product that we had built and being able to scale that even further, having all the right resources and, and people, you know, in growing the team even further to really take it to the next level. So we got together and, and come March of 2021, and it was through COVID and it was crazy time. It's like, you know, who goes through a whole acquisition during COVID without seeing, you know, each other sort of post the first couple of times. But all that happened in March of 2021, we were fully acquired and it's been a great journey since. It's been over a year now and it's a, it's a, it's a lot of fun with, with a really big team now, uh, a lot bigger than the 30 or so that were in the office before. And it's a, it's a, it's a really great journey thus far. Yeah. Awesome. And for those who don't know, what is, what is VTS? What do they do? Yeah. So VTS uh, is, call it the first true unicorn prop tech company. Uh, mm-hmm. They were the original prop tech company. And VTS focused its time over the last decade on really first a lease automation platform that converts the leads to, to signed leases a lot faster. Mm-hmm. So it really took sort of the old, even in my real estate days, the leasing activity report used to be an Excel file that yeah. you know, leasing agents would fill out. Uh, and they'd say, oh yeah, this, this person called me on this date. Uh, and it was brutal. It was it was time consuming. It was inaccurate always, right? Yeah. Uh, you'd miss the rofer or you'd miss the, you know, whatever the, the, the encumbrance that you had on that lease. And then there would be a big meeting and everyone would, you know, be mad at, uh, at the leasing people. <laughs> and so VTS really totally invent, reinvented that, said, look, use technology to make it fail safe, to make it just more efficient. And that was really something that resonated with me is that they took a business process in the world of real estate truly understood it because I think you know Nick and Ryan both spent their time uh, in the asset and brokerage worlds. So as founders, they really had a very clear vision of what the industry needs. And I think that's a very important theme here is that you really need to understand what the industry wants and needs, as opposed to looking at it just from a software perspective, mm-hmm. or some other industry coming in trying to do what real estate needs. So they were able to execute on that and since have grown the product to market, which is another offering that digitizes and automates the marketing equation for commercial real estate and then data, which takes all those first party you know, inputs that are in the system and gives you near real time data and, and insights into how you should strategize your portfolio or even one specific space in your building. And that really changes sort of dynamically how real estate has operated from a leasing and asset management standpoint over the course of the last 10 years with BTS. And they're you know, number one player in the space and over 12 billion square feet, I think, that are served by the core products. And then with the addition of with addition of Rise Buildings and more recently even Lane Technologies out of Toronto, what we're able to do is fill in that product, you know, kind of round out that product with like, okay, well, you leased the space on BTS and you had, you know, you found out about the space on market. There's data flowing out of that. Now, once you've moved into that space, you need something, a technology tool to operate your day-to-day, right? To operationalize that asset. So that's really where Rise Buildings came in. It was a nice puzzle piece fit into that equation. And now with the acquisition of Lane, even further rounding out that feature set to where it really is a a full stack solution. Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. And catch me up on Lane as well. So I think a lot of the Nexus audiences, what we're, we'll, we'll talk about front of the house versus back of the house a little bit, but I think a lot of the Nexus office, Nexus, Nexus audience is coming from the back of the house. And so these more front of the house or really business specific, business automation focused startups, they might not have as much knowledge of those. So what, how is Lane different than what you guys were doing? Yeah, it's a great way to sort of split that up, right? I think there's a with, with Lane, first of all, great team, great founders, and a, and a great architecture to how they have built the platform. It really is a technology forward platform. And while Lane was focused on sort of the front of house, which is, hey, look, what does the end user want? And center the technology around the end user, allow them to do things like flex, right? Which is a very important thing, I think, going into the future here. Mm-hmm. Allow them to do things like uh, engagement content in a, in, a, in, a, in a very powerful way allow them to maintain a unique user identity between buildings that they might visit and so on and so forth. Very powerful front of house, if you will. On the back of house, it's the native property operations software where Rise really created that value, right? So instead of buying those six systems or eight systems, you're you're buying one, you're saving yourself money. Hopefully around 50% 50 of your tech spend can be reduced by this consolidation play. So whether it's visitor management or work orders or preventive maintenance or access management, the conference bookings and all the sort of day-to-day operational things that happen in the building happen on one single stack in one product. Well, you've saved yourself some money. And because you're offering the end user and the staff and the property manager sort of a remote control for the building, 
they use it every day and they adopt, you know, you'll see 90% adoption and they'll use it like a toothbrush twice a day. You know, it's, it's really powerful when you get them to use the platform for the tool that it is, then you can leverage that to engage them on the platform for the network that it creates. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's where like the puzzle piece as well of lane and rise coming together uh, and adding all those feature sets and sort of uh, best of both worlds, if you if you will, I think that sort of creates the future of what is what it was known to be tenant experience, right? Tenant experience was a big buzzword and certainly I think a worthy one, but I think that was looked at as a point solution, like hey, here's your app for your building mm-hmm. and it's got a bunch of information on it and can't really transact or pay for rent or do any of those those functional things, but it's got it's an, an app for your building and you check that box. I think bringing that together with the back of house. Mm-hmm. And truly making it a one-stop shop technology solution, both for the front and the back of house, really establishes what I think is going to be the future of you know tenant experience. Cool. So, so one of the things that we were talking there, I think I've been confused about front of the house, back of the house. It's almost like what you were describing is there's like the engagement and perks and flex space options. That's like very, very front of the house. And then what you described is like, in my mind, like middle of the house, because it's still touching tenants, still touching occupants, right? There's the, you know, visitor management, conference room booking, amenities, things like that. And then I'm still picturing like more back of the house technologies, right? I, I need to manage this air handling unit and what what temperature of air it's putting out and, you know, all of those types of things that are way, way like way, way back of the house, right? Is that... Is that kind of how you think about it too? Like the spectrum? It's not necessarily a either or thing. Yeah, I, I definitely look at your sort of what you described as back of the house as yeah. the way, way back of the house. Way, way back. Okay. Your building systems. Yeah. Well, you know, and I think there's real value in that. And that's not something sort of we do today, right? We don't get all the way to the back of the house. We mm-hmm. do connect to it. We do provide inputs to it, mm-hmm. but we're not the HVAC system. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't aspire to be. Uh, I think, you know, we could touch on that. I think there are some great companies doing great work in that space, the way, way back of house mm-hmm. and your system side uh, that I think, you know, if they do their job well, right, those companies, they do a good job. Nobody will really know that they existed because they would have probably driven some efficiencies and automation without mm-hmm. anyone actually knowing. And, you know, so the so the middle of the house, as you described it, or the front of house can become inputs to those systems to say, mm-hmm. look, Nobody's showing up at the building today because we know because we're the visitor management system or we have we have a patented uh, beacon technology that understands how yeah. space is being utilized. So, OK, well, that can form a great input into the way, way back of the house systems to inform them to reduce the set point or take in more outside air um, mm-hmm. or shut off the valve or whatever you, you needed to do. Yeah. What about the other way? What, what might you guys be able to pull in from the way, way back of the house? Yeah, it's a great question. So think about, we'll use a simple one, right? You have for every generally sophisticated HVAC system, you have a temperature sensor at the output of the main duct that comes to a tenant space, right? So Mm -hmm. you might be pushing air, you know, pushing air out of the vent at 62 degrees. And that might be cold, not by like a human feeling it's cold, but it's actually cold, right? It's Mm -hmm. it's cold air. And now you might have an ambient temperature sensor that's from the way, way back of house system that goes, yeah, you know what? That that sensor is saying it's like 68 degrees in here. And when it's 68 degrees in here, it's probably going to result in a work order or a ticket from someone from the middle of the house that Mm -hmm. says I'm cold, right? So instead of waiting for the customer to be cold, maybe we can take those back of house systems and turn it into a preventive ticket that says, hey, go check, go, go hit, your, you know, take the temperature mm-hmm. cut out and see what's really going on and maybe adjust the set point before there's a customer complaint or if I'm, I'm too hot or I'm too cold. And you can do that with a host of systems, right? Leak detection systems are great. Right. And there's so many more elevator systems can provide great inputs to, to like the work order solution that we have. So it's a great question. Those, those back of way, way back of house systems can actually be a great input the other way around. Totally. And it seems like you need to enable, in order to enable some of the use cases you're talking about, because I, I know you guys do things like, I don't exactly know the technical, like way, way front of the house term for this, but integrating with access control to help people get throughout the building. So it seems like in order to enable some of the use cases that you guys are selling to your customers, you need some of those integrations with way, way back of the house. uh, Yeah, 100%. 100%. I think you have to have, and it's just not not just front of house integrations, 
not just way, way back a house. It's got to be everything in between too. So think about, you know, uh, some of the primary systems that are in buildings. Certainly you have the building automation and building systems, HVAC and so on and so forth. Elevators, access control, those can all be part of that same equation. Mm -hmm. You have accounting systems. So they're kind of like the middle of the house, right? You're, you're literally, you want to be able to pay for your rent or pay for that flex booking. Well, it's not good enough just to take the payment. You actually have to ledger it into the accounting system. So, you know, a property manager doesn't have to do double or triple data. Right. Entry. It's automatic, mm -hmm. automatic. So, and then, so there's so these middle systems, which are accounting and if you will, to some degree, productivity related, but then there's front of house systems that are engagement related. Like we want to be yeah. able to integrate to fitness vendors. And, you know, one of our integration partners is Arch Amenities Group is formerly uh, LifeStart. You know, they have classes, uh, fitness and wellness classes in buildings. Well, it would be it would be a shame if we sent a user to some third website to consume that information. What they should be able to do is in that same app that they use to access the building and go up the elevator, uh, they should be able to book their yoga class or, or whatever that offering mm -hmm. is native to the application. So I think I think it's all across the board. You uh, integration as a topic, it is extremely important, and we that's why we spent you know frankly our early money on deep product integration. Uh, with those systems, whether they're way, way back, middle of the house or front of house, because we knew that unless you do that properly, and if you do that in a stable manner, you know, you can't really bring it all together. We might be able to build native technology to do a lot of things, but we're not going to run the pipes and wires in the building yeah. uh, to, to, you know, control the HVAC or make the elevators go up and down. So I think integration is key across all those domains. Yeah. Can you talk to me about some of the use cases you enable when you Integrate, like so when you integrate with access control, what can you do then? When you integrate with elevators, what can you do then? And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yeah, so let's, let's take those two as an example. And I'll go to saying, there's been a sort of loose definition of integration uh, yes. in, in, that has evolved. You know, what some people say it's an integration is like, well, if, you, if you're trying to use a mobile credential, in my mind, an integration is not getting a emailed token or a code <laughs> Yeah. Opening up another app to drop that in and then having it sort of confirm and then sending you the credential and hopefully you get it and then maybe the turnstile opens. That yeah. is not an integration. So an integration should mean, you know, when a net new user is added to a building, they are automatically pushed into the access control system as a net new bona fide user. And then the legwork of obtaining a mobile credential, let's say from a third party system or provider is done on the back end, so that to the user, the experience is, okay, I just, I just started my day, you know, at my new, new job and my HR told me to download this app because I'm pre-registered and I went through the steps and I hit, you know, when I, when I hit login, it asked me a simple question. Would you like to use this device as your digital credential from now on? And if I hit yes, all the other work is done in the back, you know, background. Like I don't have to go down to the security desk. I don't have to go to the basement security office and, and you know, wait there in line. It's done. And from there on out, I can use that app to access my turnstile or elevator or my even my own suite, right? So that's a real integration, a real push and pull integration with you know complex systems, not sort of a user layer to to sort of not a, yeah. not a front end of the integration. Mm -hmm. uh, so things like things that we can enable with that are obviously we can manage the employee population or residential population of building in that third-party system, access control or otherwise. We can allow them to carry a digital credential, which frankly gets rid of the plastic key cards. One of the greatest examples of that is 800 Fulton. It's a building owned by Thor and Quadrille here in, in our backyard. You know, it claimed and is the smartest building in Chicago. Well, one of the first things they did as the smartest building in Chicago was said, we're getting rid of all the plastic. We don't need it, right? It doesn't need to end up in our oceans or any of that. And we have the means to do digital credentials. So Unless you literally don't have a smartphone, which, you know, who doesn't, you don't get a plastic key card anymore. You get a digital key card that gets you into everywhere that you belong to in the building. So they did that. It was a great, great move. And it, so it's probably the poster child of how to do digital credentials and how to do touchless access. And then I think you can even take it a step further. So, for example, with Schindler port as, as one example, we have an elevator integ integration. So we talk to the back end elevator system allowing for things like a user can call an elevator from a certain location, you know, upon presence of that, because you don't want them to call an elevator from their bedroom, right? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, using our tech in conjunction with the system that exists allows that user to call an elevator as they're walking up to that elevator. So things like that, 
look, will every user call an elevator with their phone? No, but 15, 20% of them will. And they'll think that it's great because they don't want to touch the thing on the wall or they just want to have it waiting for them by the time they get to that you know, lobby or whatever, because they're in a hurry, right? So mm -hmm. uh, you know, all things don't apply to all people, but the goal with deep integrations on the back office and the middle office side, if you will, are to make you know, some subset of the building populations life a, a lot easier so that they feel welcome coming to that workplace. Got it. Got it. Hey guys, just another quick note from our sponsor, Nexus Labs, and then we'll get back to the show. This episode is brought to you by Nexus Foundations, our introductory course on the smart buildings industry. If you're new to the industry, this course is for you. If you're an industry vet but want to understand how technology is changing things, this course is also for you. The alumni are raving about the content, which they say pulls it all together. And they also loved getting to meet the other students on the weekly Zoom calls and in the private chat room. You can find out more about the course at courses.nexuslabs.online. All right, back to the interview. Do you guys get into HVAC and lighting integrations? How does that, in terms of being able to modify the like two-way communication like you're talking about, modifying those systems, automating those systems based on what's happening in the app? Yeah, depends on the system, right? So one of our integrations is with a, um, a, a smart smart building solution that controls thermostats, lighting, leak detection, a handful of things. Um, mm -hmm. So with, with that as an example, a user can turn on their lights, turn off their lights, dim their lights, set their thermostat set point, even roll their shades up and down in their particular suite. So with that type of integration, yeah, you get real depth, right? But there's others. There's a flavor of integrations where you know you're you're basically popping a user via an authentication protocol into a, a controller's web view, right? It could be that simple. And, and frankly, sometimes the third party doesn't have the ability to deeply integrate, and all yeah. they have is a web front end that you can control. That's a that's a hidden and secure link that you can only authenticate into. So we can do things like pass parameters and we can do things like pass set points, but then really the, the, the app, if you will, in the web portal that the user sees is kind of a launch pad for all of these other things in the building. And then you can, yeah. you can choose which things you want to launch out of it, but the experience has to be seamless. So it can't be like, I pressed a button and it asked me to log in again and then, you know, spent five yeah. minutes trying to log in and remember my password or whatever. No, it's got to be seamless and it's got to be user role based and permissioned according, accordingly so that, you know, Joe Cubicle, maybe they don't have rights to turn on the AC or whatever it is. Only the facility contact can do that or the main mm -hmm. contact can do that. So that's user based as well. Got it. So how have you guys handled this over the past like six years when these integrations are, are not easy, a lot of these, right? So, you know, you might find one types of access control system that can do what you want it to do. And it might be an API and it might be blah, blah, blah. You might come up to the next access control system that you know doesn't even have anything for you to integrate with, right? Or it's some sort of legacy protocol. Yeah. So how have you handled that and the ability to, to acknowledge, right? That yeah. the use cases you're trying to like implement for your customers are enabled by the underlying infrastructure. And sometimes those are going to fight against what you're trying to do. So how, how do you guys do that in a scalable way? Yeah. And I think in building rise buildings with, sort of the real estate background that we had, we knew that no two buildings are going to be the same. Yeah. In fact, every single building is different. So they're literally like a snowflake, right? So even if two buildings have the exact same access control system, the way they use that access control yeah. system could be completely different, which means your platform has to be from the beginning set up in an architecture and in a dynamic workflow where each building can be treated for its, its use case and its scope specificity, right? Mm -hmm. So- and so that's, we designed it from the beginning to be adaptable to each building's use case. And I, I will say for the most part, access control systems, I think there's like 130 of them out there in the world, yeah. maybe more, a new one comes out every week, it feels like. Generally speaking, they've gotten sophisticated. So they're allowing for things like push and pull and the right fields and the right data points to be exchanged. So that's made the job easier over the last six years, but there's still some legacy systems that, that are not even cloud connected, right? So mm -hmm. you might have a a system from 1985 in your building that's never been upgraded, uh, that there is no way for you to talk to that system, yeah. even if you had a computer on site or an on-prem on server trying to do it. So those systems, if, uh, if, if, our client, if our client were to ask us, well, I want to do digital access, but I have this X system from 1985, mm -hmm. show me how, how to go about doing it because everyone I talk to says, well, you got to spend a million bucks to upgrade your access control system. 
And what we did early on was we devised a series of hardware that helps automate some of these things. So certainly we have this gateway that sits with that system, allowing us to do certain things to it. But then really we built a, a, a protocol of hardware that allows you to unlock any door no matter what system it is, right? So if it's a sophisticated system, we'd much rather carry the digital credential and unlock that door. Yeah. But if it's a system from 1985, the customer doesn't have to resort to spending the million bucks and upgrading to a cloud-connected system necessarily. It might still be a good idea to do that, but we can still unlock that door using hardware that supports our software. Got it, got it. So it's some sort of gateway that talks whatever integration protocols need to, need to happen. Yeah. And so without touching any sort of the underlying infrastructure or without it writing a string of code to the access control system, because it can't, right? Just not capable of talking to us. We're still able to open that door for the right credentialed user. Got it. Got it. Cool. I want to circle back on the, you mentioned this beacon technology. Can you talk, talk more about that? Sounds cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not as cool as it sounds. A beacon's a pretty simple device. It just sits there and says, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here all day long. We developed, we developed a little algorithm to understand how to read that beacon uh, and passively understand who's been around that beacon. Mm. Uh, so we actually filed a patent and got USPTO and a couple of international uh, fully granted patents out of it. And uh, really the premise was, you know, I wanted to, in operating my buildings, I wanted to understand how portions of that building were utilized. Now, you could do that with an access control system, right? You can run the report and be like, oh, yeah. this many people went through the fitness center. That's important. But what do they do once they got into the fitness center? Oh, I have no idea because it's all open or it's not a reservable amenity. So it's just open access. I wanted to be able to measure granularly like, hey, there's a lounge with you know hard seating over here. And on the other side of the lobby, I have soft seating over there. I want to see which one gets used the most. So yeah. I want to make it hyper local to a certain area uh, and really leveraging that beacon tech, we're able to do that in a passive manner, in a statistically mm -hmm. accurate manner. So we could show whether the treadmill or the Peloton bikes are being used or the yoga studio or the, you know, whatever the, 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 the meditation chamber is getting more utilized, right? We can get that granular with it. Uh, and with that aggregate beacon data, we can even go so far as to say, well, occupancy is either going up or down for the building based mm -hmm. on a handful of things that occur in that building. So yeah, the beacon itself is a pretty simple device. In fact, we made it so that it was peel and stick, the actual hardware itself. You didn't have to bring, you know, pipes and wire to it, which usually end up being more expensive yeah. than the device itself. So we said, look, for in order for these things to be deployed at scale, they literally need to be battery powered, work for five years. You peel the, you know, tape off of it or two screws and it's under a desk and it's up and running just like that. Okay. That's kind of the mentality we took to it. It seems to have worked. I mean, we, we've got customers that are uh, raving about that data and you could do things for the customer's customer. Like, hey, you want to go down to the fitness center? You can look on the app and see whether it's busy or not, whether you, you know, choose to head down there or not. This mm -hmm. was really, really important during sort of the, the bulk of COVID where yeah. lockdowns had happened and then you finally started opening up a little bit. This was really important. You could really help keep people safe by not congregating in certain areas or not going down to, to busy areas when they were in fact busy and giving your occupants the easy button to go, I'm going to check before I go down there, uh, is not only safe during the times of COVID, but it's a convenient thing even, even long thereafter. Got it. Very cool. So when would, a, when would one of your clients or your customers use that versus using some sort of occupancy counter IoT solution? Yeah, I think uh, I think there's some great occupancy sensors, counters. There's you know image-based ones. There's radar-based ones. There's mm -hmm. all kinds of great stuff out there. I think those are all very important systems to have. Uh, I think where our clients see the value in the beacon tech is it, it becomes like the base layer. It's like, look, just just we're gonna get the really you know high-profile, sophisticated occupancy sensor that's video-based that tells you people's emotions while they were in your space <laughs> and all those great things. We're going to get that. We might not be able to get that for every single room in our building, mm -hmm. every location within our building, because it's cost prohibitive at times, right? So because you have to run infrastructure to those systems, and right. like I said, that usually costs you more than the actual sensor itself. So the clients look at this as a base case statistical, you know, look, we can get a pretty good understanding of how things are working and operationally how the building's being used. And then we can leverage that statistical data to go, look, we're about to go renovate the amenity center. Should we put in a golf simulator or more lounge <laughs> seating or a small conference room? 
our beacon data can surface that. But if they want to get really specific and granular, certainly there's use cases for uh, the occupancy sensors yeah. and the radar-based systems out there. Got it. Cool. The I'd like to switch gears a little bit. So we've been. I was planning on talking about the nerdy techs for a second. We 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 went straight into it, and so I want to like maybe circle back to what I was planning on asking you about first, which was more business questions. So it's, you're a real estate guy, right? Which I didn't know, which is awesome that you came from that that side of things. Can you talk about getting back to the office and like kind of where we're at? And this could be a novel, like you said earlier. This could be a six part series. What's the Cliff's notes of where we're at in terms of getting people back to the office and how tenant apps specifically help with that and how how real estate owners are thinking about using tenant apps in that in that situation. Yeah, I think you know there's a hundred answers, right? And everyone has been on those answers. I don't know what the answer is, to be quite honest. But I I I, I think my theory is that the first step we have to take is understanding whether going to the office is even required anymore. And my answer to that is is an absolute 100% yes, because the innovation curve flattens so fast, it'll make your head spin when people are disconnected, even though they're on Zoom calls and Slack all day long, right? Mm -hmm. Look, I think there's I think there's value to how we've pivoted during COVID to still being productive by, by while being away. But I think that innovation curve does slow down pretty, pretty de, you know, definitively when you're not together and moving fast. And I don't think that just applies for startups or, or you know, smaller middle-sized companies. I think that applies to the biggest companies just the same, right? So I think if, the, if we start with, look, if we believe that in order for us to innovate that at, at, at least for a portion of our work week or month or whatever it is, that we have to be together in the same room to be able to read each other's emotions and, and move fast through the problem at hand and, and really get to a best answer as opposed to the one that we came up with because we had Zoom fatigue and everyone was like, okay, this is the 60th Zoom call I've been on today. I'm fine with whatever you say, right? <laughs> whatever, yeah, whatever you're going to do, <laughs> right? So if, if that's the starting point, if that's the theory of it, while recognizing like we've created also some convenience to employees and, and you know, people that have other responsibilities, like creating flexibility is important. And I think we've done that. I think there's a balance, right? And and who knows whether that's two days a week, five days a week, four days a week. We don't know that yet, but that'll just that'll just happen out of time. But I do know that some part of the week or month gets spent together in real time, engaging with your with your team and getting mentored and learning from each other and, and all those things. So so if that's the case, if that's the sort of premise, then then it's just a matter of time before occupancy comes back to pre-COVID levels. And it might not be that way on Mondays and Fridays or maybe Fridays, um, but it, it will be that way, I think, for a majority of the week. And we're seeing that in our data, by the way, like in our beacon-based data and axe log data, we're seeing a steady increase, like a 40 degree slope, you know, in markets like Chicago, New York. So I think, you know, there's lots of companies out there that are sort of aggregating this data, but, but very much what you're seeing is a steady uptick week over week where people are more and more regularly coming back to the office. I think if you switch that question to, well, how does an app help you with that? I think over the course of the last two years or whatever it's been, um, people have forgotten what the water cooler looks like. People have forgotten that, you know, the building hires a band and has a social hour on Thursdays. And that's cool because I go down there with my employee, you know, colleagues, and, and we used to talk about things other than work, you know, while, while being at work. And that built relationships and that, that, you know, that person helped me do something the next week. I think we've forgotten that and mm -hmm. tenant app can help you remind it. So a very good example of that is Heinz's 444 Lake, which is one of our customers where that, that app actually went live in the height of COVID. Nobody was at the building, right? there was nobody there. <laughs> but ever since then they've used the app to actually communicate with all those employees of their tenants. So their, their customers, employees, Mm -hmm. about how great the building is and what they're doing at the building. And of course, every time they say, look, we're doing something to activate the building or create a little bit of excitement here, you'll see a, you know, a, a, a uptick, a direct uptick in how many people are coming back to the mm -hmm. office. So, so the return to the office, I think, happens gradually over time. Because look, people are going to concerts and they're, they're taking airplanes all over the country. And so the, the safety part of it is, is somewhat sort of not as bad as it was, say, a year ago or two years ago. But the, the sort of the, the desire to come back while they can mm -hmm. be productive at home, 
um, is starting to sort of snowball down the hill where people are like, no, 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 I've had enough of, you know, having my dog bark in the background or, yeah. or whatever it is. And I want to be back. I want to, I want to feel engaged with my, with my fellow employees. And that building, as an example, did a great job of communicating with the tenants and their employees, even though they were sitting on their couch at home. Totally. And really they, they did a good job of competing with the couch. We say it all the time, like as real estate, as an industry, we have to compete with the couch. So an app, well, that's, it's just a delivery mechanism. And if you have an app that's highly adopted because it does operational things or provides functional value like digital access and things like that, well, then you're gonna have really high adoption, which means mm -hmm. when you send that message out about, hey, we're doing a party in the park or ice cream social or the yoga event or whatever it is, those front end engagement things, it's gonna entice more of your tenants employees to actually come back to work which is good for everyone, not just for the tenant themselves because of that innovation curve, but it's good for the building from a health of an asset standpoint, because after all, we're in the business of real estate. Totally. Totally. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm one of those people that sort of went remote during COVID when I started my own business and just missing that activity for sure. How about with leasing, right? So same question, but related to leasing activity and renewal, because I feel like that's the piece that I think a lot of people are concerned about today in real estate, right? Are so-and-so going to renew their lease and are so-and-so going to downsize, like those sorts of questions. How can a tenant app help with those, those sorts of questions and, and fears, really? Yeah, no, it, there's no doubt it's going to be a renewals market for quite some time. There's some big numbers and stats of, of the lease expirations that are out there in the market countrywide. I think I think I'll, I can answer that question with the, the decision maker of how much space to take and where to take it has shifted from the CEO or the, or the board members or something like that in a, in a company to the employee population. That's happened over the last five or so years, maybe 10 years where the employees really have a voice in where they're located and why they should stay at a building or go to another one and, and whether their office should be bigger or smaller. So I think getting the voice of the customer is really important because if you engage that customer, the employee, the end user, and if you put them on brand, your building's brand, whether it's through an app or other means, right? Uh, if you give them good technology to engage and socialize with that building's brand and the other people in that building, if you get them the yoga class and the ice cream social and the convenient access and all those things that we've talked about earlier, then that employee is going to feel an affinity for that building. And so when the CEO asks that employee, hey, should we take more or less space? Should we stay here? Should we just go remote and work from home from now on and just sort of disband the office? That employee is going to have a strong opinion to say, look, I like being here and I have an affinity to this brand and this building and I'm engaged here. I've made a few friends by going to the, you know, whatever the yoga class or the, the ice cream social, whatever it might be. Uh, and and I, my vote is to stick around here. I, I, I like my office space. I think that's an important thing that yeah. the real estate industry needs to tap into. I think the the second part of it is, you know, if you're if you're if you're really sort of trying to think about well, how much space is going to be required, you know, everyone's like, well, everyone's going to be working from home, so we'll need a half the amount of space that we used to need. Well, I actually think maybe not. If you're a company that had a hundred employees and you have not grown or shrunk from a business standpoint through COVID and into the next five years, well. You might just, even if 20, 30, 40% of those employees are working from home temporarily, you might actually need more space for the 50 employees that are coming to work every day because we need to spread out more. You know, the, the, we went to a benching model, I think five, seven, something like yeah. that years ago, mm -hmm. where it went to, you know, sardine offices or sardine can offices. And I think that's going to shift back, right? I think you need more space, not just for people's own personal space, but also for collaborative areas where the 30 or 40 workers that went remote, maybe full-time or part-time, need to come back, need to have more meeting space, need to have more you know, lounge space, frankly, where people can sit around a, a comfy couch and it almost feels like home, right? Like mm -hmm. that's what you want to try to emulate. It's like, okay, you're not working from home, but you're working in an office that feels like home and it's comfortable and you can engage with your fellow employees when you do come to the office once or twice a week. I think that's going to actually drive up the amount of space, regardless of employee growth, just for that hundred employee tenant, like I think they might actually need more space than than what they're sort of saying right now. So, I, but I don't, I don't know that that's today. I think that's what will happen over the next you know couple of three years. Got it. Got it. 
I think related to those two questions around getting people back to the office and leasing activity and renewal, the, the question comes to my mind of analytics. So helping, so you mentioned this one occupant that might like or dislike their space. That's one piece of data, right? What are the other types of analytics you can provide to help you know, landlords, but also building owners, right? Could be two different entities understand how, what to do with their space. And, and I guess tenants as well, right? You could pl- provide analytics to all three of them to provide, to make better business decisions. So how, how do you, how do you think about that, that yeah. analytics piece? Great, great question. And, and one, the answer hopefully stitches all of this together, right? Yeah, right. Why, why did we build rise buildings, you know, to create value for the owner from a dollars and cents standpoint, create engagement and affinity, but the exhaust of all of the native operations technology that we built back then. And then as part of VTS with VTS Rise, the, about, the amount of features and functionalities that we've been able to scale up and sort of the data points that that is exhausting is mm-hmm. creating a paradigm shift in how real estate makes decisions, right? So VTS from a, from a sort of a historical standpoint had all the great data around leasing and marketing activity and generated sort of the data exhaust from that rise from a operational input standpoint. And even more recently with Lane and the engagement input standpoint starts to create a tremendous amount of exhaust data from how, how many visitors are showing up to your building? How many conference rooms got booked? Is an employee happy or sad? Literally an NPS score for your building, right? How many events did they attend? They RSVP'd but didn't show up. Is that important? Like they had hundred people RSVP'd but 10 people showed up. What happened that day, right? You can get into the granulars or you can start to look, kind of zoom out and go, well, if I have a, just give you an example, if I have five tenants in my building and the top tenant has its lease renewal or expiration, because they can send us a termination notice on X date, six months from now, has, is having a terrible experience. Their NPS scores are, you know, their detractors. When, when they do a work order, they have lots of work orders that they're putting through the first party operation software. And then they're rating them as like, we're not doing a good job for them. Nobody's showing up at the office, really. Like they're 50% utilized on their office space. They start compounding these factors and they're paying, you know, below market rate. Okay. All of these things we know as the VTS ecosystem. That is all first party mm. data that comes out of our, our different product lines, right? Well, then you can actually make a decision about that space as a landlord and an operator and a leasing team to go, they're paying below market rate, they're unhappy and they're paying the ass. Maybe we should give them an early out because we can market, you know, clean up that space, market it, and have it filled if that's the market that's out there, right? Or you might be able to do something between now and their termination date that's focused to that tenant and their employees and their C-suite and whoever to turn that relationship around and entice their employees to come back to work, throw them an event or, or give them an exclusive thing that is just done for them. Really, the, the, the premise here is that when you take that operational engagement data and you contextualize it with the, with the thing that matters the most, which is the business at hand, it's the leasing part of the business, right? Uh, you can get to really uh, get ahead of some of these surprises that when I was in real estate and our team was like, yep, so-and-so terminated, like, wait a minute, did we, did we not know that that was coming? They're like, yeah, no, we didn't really know. We, they kind of surprised us this week and they sent in their term notice. It's like, let's not have any more surprises as an industry, right. actually use the data to get ahead of it and do something about it and, and really start to shift real estate from a, what has been in, in sort of the legacy sense, kind of anecdotal. It's like, yeah, I think someone uses the golf simulator a lot. That's, that's what the property manager will tell you. Uh, I tell the story all the time. It's like, I was a real estate developer and, and like we used to put in a golf simulator into every building we built. It's a terrible idea. <laughs> it's like, because why? Because every one of my peers and colleagues, they all love golf. So we put in a golf simulator. Mm-hmm. But nobody was using the golf simulator, right? right? So it's a terrible idea. It's a waste of money. What they really wanted, it was a small conference room. Well, we should have put in a small conference room. So shifting from like anecdotes and I think this is happening in subjective sort of stories like that one, to, okay, the data proves that nobody's using a golf simulator and, you know, this tenant's not showing up to work and they're paying above market rate or below market rate. These real data points can actually totally change the way we make decisions in real estate. And, and that's what we built this product around. And that's what we're trying to bring to the industry. Got it. Got it. Well, this has been awesome. Prasanna, I want to, I want to be mindful of our time here. Um, let's, let's close this down. I feel like I got to ask you questions all day. Let's, let's end with carve outs. What movie, book, TV show, podcast, et cetera, would you recommend the audience checks out? Could be personal, professional, or both. 
I'll, I'll do a fun movie real quick because I, I haven't had a chance to see it yet. I'd really like to. It's uh, Top Gun Maverick. Uh -huh. You know, it's a, it's a must see. Right. But on a more serious note, I, I really enjoyed Third Wave, which is by Steve Case. I've read that book like three times and it's, you know, it's, it's not necessarily like a new book. It's been around no. for a while, but uh, you know, he was uh, uh, part of, you know, AOL and, and revolution partners. And I think his, I think his approach to sort of how the next big, whether it's a technology business or just any business will get built is I think, I think his punchline without sort of giving the cliff notes is, is really you have to partner with the, the industry that you're serving. And you have to, in, in some examples, you know, partner with, with, things like government to, you know, it's no longer going to be like run out there like the wild, wild west, and then everyone will regulate around you. It's actually be a part of that entire, mm -hmm. bring that into the entire equation. And I thought that was interesting. And uh, some of the sort of bullet points along the way of that book and, and the way he's written it uh, really spoke to sort of my entrepreneurial journey and okay. things that we have been through and lessons learned or or, or, or sometimes it's like, crap, it said that in the book. Why don't we do it that way? Right? <laughs> yeah. Mistakes made. So I really recommend that's, it's a great read. Nice. Nice. And, and are we still in the third wave? That's not over, is it? Who knows? I Who think knows? we're in the Omicron subvariant two. Wave. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, we are. Any, I don't, I don't know if any of those books apply anymore, but it's yeah. still a good read. Got it. Got it. All right. I'll have to check that out. I remember like, checking out the book and I just never, never bought it, but I'll share mine. So I've been training for a really long run that I'm going to run a hundred miles at the end of the month over, over a couple of days, not all at once, wow. but all back country. And so I've been running a lot and training. So I've been really tired and I just like, can't read right now. Yeah. So I feel like I've on the last like five podcasts, I've shared all TV shows. Yeah. So I apologize for that, but the TV show I've been watching right now is called alone mm -hmm. and it is, incredible they send for people that haven't seen it they send these people out into the wilderness all at once and the, the goal is who can survive the longest oh. and they all have there's no camera crews they all have their own personal cameras and you know gopros on their heads and all that and they're like narrating their experience the whole time and you learn so much about survival i feel like i've learned a ton so that's all i'll say there's like eight seasons Definitely going to watch that at eight seasons. That sounds like a very binge worthy. Yeah, you know, that's lots of hours can be burned on that. But I'm going to have to I probably have to get you the audiobook version of Third Wave so you can listen to it on your your on my runs. Yes, run. yes. There you go. There you go. All right, Prasad. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I'm glad we finally did this. You got it. Yeah. Good to see you, James. Chat soon. All right, friends, thanks for listening to this episode of the Nexus Podcast. For more episodes like this and to get the weekly Nexus newsletter, which, by the way, readers have said is the best way to stay up to date on the future of the smart building industry, please subscribe at nexuslabs.online. You can find the show notes for this conversation there as well. Have a great day.